Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. And we know that all things, say all things, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That he might be, Jesus, the firstborn among many, many brothers, many sisters. That's God's intention. And he says this, all things work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Let me just share some things about that today. And the first thing I just want to start with is by asking the question, do all things really work together for good as followers of Christ? If so, how is this possible? You know, this is scripture in 1 Thessalonians that says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, that's an amazing scripture. But please understand, it's not saying give thanks for all things. It says give thanks in all things. Because the reality is not all things that happen in our lives, not everything that happens in our life is God's will. You know, the Bible tells us that, that the devil also has a purpose for our lives. In John 10, verse 10, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he has a purpose for our lives as well. And if all things that happen to us are of divine design, then why would Jesus not have, he would not have instructed us to pray this prayer in Matthew 6.10. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So not everything that is happening in your life is like, well, this is God's will. The, the fact is we have, to be, we, know, we have to know the word. We have to understand what's happening in our lives to be able to realize what we need to reject, what we have to discern what is of the enemy and what is, he's coming against us with and what is God's purpose and will. But yet, the good news is, is that the Bible teaches that God is able to redirect all adversity, trials, disappointments, setbacks, disasters, broken promises, anything that Satan would mean to destroy us, God is able to redirect that so that it culminates and converges in our seeing God's handiwork in our lives and everything working together for our good. It's amazing. It's an amazing promise. I want you to think about the story of Joseph and his brothers in the book of Genesis. Joseph was despised and abandoned by his brothers. He was left for dead. He was betrayed by his mistress. He was disbelieved by his master. He was left to rot in a prison cell. He was forsaken by his family. He was forgotten by his friends. He was unpardoned and passed by. He was ripped off and written off. Everything that could go wrong in his life went wrong. And Joseph had every legitimate right, if you, humanly speaking, to be bitter, resentful. He could have easily turned into a cynic, contemptuous and distrustful of people. But Joseph came to realize that God had been with him through all his hardship not only protecting him from his predators, but also perfecting him for his promotion. There was a purpose in Joseph's pain. His men's rejection was actually God's redirection, and all things were working together for his good. 
so that one day he could stand before his brothers and cry out and he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What an awesome promise, huh? That God works all things together for good to those who love him. You might be in a situation right now and you say, I don't understand what's going on in my life. Well, you just need to trust the one who does understand and knows everything that's going on in your life. You aren't smart enough to understand everything that's going on in your life. You aren't intelligent enough to be able to know the right things to do. And God has called us to walk by faith and not by sight. He's called us to trust him in the midst of our tragedy. He caused, he's caused us to believe him in the midst of our bitterness. In the midst of things that you do not see and you do not understand, you've got to lay hold of the one who is invisible. You've got to get, you get a hold of his promises and just stay connected and committed to him in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of the things that don't make sense to you. We cannot forget that every promise has a process. Every promise has a process. Do you understand that? So how do all things work together for good? To those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, let me just say, clearly, not every person on this planet, not all people on this planet, literally are in a place where things are working together for their good. There are a lot of people in this world that things are working together for their destruction. Things are working together for their devastation. And the Bible is clear that it's those who love God. And it's those who are called according to his purpose. Those are the only ones that have the assurance that God is working all things together for good in their lives. So what does it mean to be called according to his purpose? Well... We have to look at verse 29. God's purpose is what? It says this, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is happening in your life? Understand that God is saying that as you love him, as you stay sweet, as you stay committed, as you don't allow yourselves to become bitter, if you will stay strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and you will not become disillusioned, God will give his grace to you so you can stay focused and you can love him and you can do what he's called you to do. But you need to also understand that he has a purpose for you and that purpose is for you pursuing his plans, his will, understanding exactly what it is that he desires you to do and to be. And what is that? It's very simple. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Or perhaps you might be saying, well, you know, is it God's will that I work where I'm working? Is it God's will that I live where I live? Is it God's will that I'm doing what I'm doing? Well, the reality is it's not even about that kind of stuff. The fact is you might go through your life second guessing, am I in the middle of God's perfect will for my life? But God wants you to understand that is not his priority. His priority and his destiny for you and for me is that we would be conformed to his image and likeness. 
And as we focus on becoming more like Jesus Christ, then guess what? He can redirect us. He can speak to us. So many people today are focused on changing their circumstances. If I was in a better situation, if I wasn't married to this person, if I had a better job, if I, you know, if I lived here, if I had only been given a chance when I was younger, if I hadn't messed up, if I hadn't gone that way, and God wants you to understand that's not what it's all about because you can change your circumstances and you will still, no matter where you go, you can move to another place, you can get in another relationship, and nothing changes because the problem is you. The problem is you need to change. The problem is you haven't allowed Jesus to conform you to his image and likeness. And wherever you go, there you are. And that means your problems are still there. And next relationship won't be good. And the next place, workplace, you'll be miserable. And the next place that you go, you'll not feel fulfilled. Because God is saying, you need to change. I need to change. We need to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's what he's predestined us for. Well, God's predestined me to be a rock star. <laughs> no, he hasn't predestined you to be a rock star. He's predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. God hasn't pre even predestined you to be a pastor in the sense that that's the ultimate calling of your life. The ultimate purpose of your salvation is to be conformed to the one who died for you. To become like Jesus. Because how many know that there are rock stars that aren't like Jesus? How many know that on a lesser level there are pastors that aren't like Jesus? But the reality is that God knows what it is he's called us to. And if you want to know that everything's working together for your life, if you want to claim this biblical promise, then number one, you need to love God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Amen. Jesus said, you need to do those things that I say if you really love me. And you won't do it out of legalism, but you do it out of love. I love you, Jesus. How can I not obey you? I love you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. I love him because he first loved me. And out of that, you love him, you keep his commandments, and then you pursue his call. You pursue his plan. And what is that? Really, the most clear directive that we have in Scripture is found here in verse 29. It's to be conformed to his image and likeness. And as we pursue that, becoming like Jesus, everything else will change. Everything else will come together. Everything else will work out if we pursue becoming more like Jesus. I love the scripture found in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse number 11, it says this, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful. And he's talking about trials. He's talking about adversity and difficulty when in persecution. And he's saying, when you're going through these things, please understand that it doesn't seem joyful. But you know what? It says, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Mm. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Your hardship has a purpose. 
The difficulties that you're going through has a purpose. That inner struggle that you're facing has a purpose. God says, when you're going through this, then understand if you will allow it to train you, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But if all you do is resent what you're going through, I don't want this to happen. I'm rejecting this. I'm balking against this. I'm resisting this. Then recognize and understand that God is saying it's not going to work out for you. So many people... You know, they're like children. When you, go on, when you go on a holiday, you know, let's say you're going to go somewhere and drive and three or four hours and you get in the car and you gun down the road 15 minutes and the kids are like, are we there yet? And that's what so many Christians are like. It's like we are on this journey that is God intending us to, and, and he has a purpose in the journey. And, and we, don't want, we won't enjoy the journey. We don't embrace the journey. We despise the journey. And we're just like little children, impatient little children, saying, God, are we there yet? Can this end? Can't we just get there? And God is like, no. There's a journey that you have to go through. There's a process, and you can be in that process for 30 and 40 years, and you will never come out different or better, and now things are not working together for your good at all because you are not allowing what God is doing in your life to conform you to the image of His Son. If you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> 1 Peter 1, 7. 1 Peter 1, 7, New Living Translation. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith is far more precious than, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor to Jesus. So testing has a purpose. I love the scripture in Malachi chapter 3 speaks about the coming of Messiah. And it says, when he comes, Malachi 3, verse 3, he will sit as a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may offer, once again, an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Do you understand what that's saying? So amazing. God is saying, there has to be a purification and preparation process before the, accept, the offering is acceptable. And God is saying, I will use the fire to purify the sacrifice and the sacrificer. I will do a work that will cause your offering to be acceptable to me. And what's happening in your life, because if you read the context of Malachi, there was a point in Malachi where these people were murmuring and complaining and saying, God, you're not fair. You're not answering us. You're not doing the right thing for our lives. Why is it that we're going through all of this? Where are you? You've forsaken us. You've neglected us. And God says, I'm with you in the fire. I'm with you in your difficulties. And I'm bringing you through this. Now stay in the fire and allow me to purify me. Allow me to change you. Because I am like one who purifies gold and silver. The metallurgist. The ancient refiner would place precious metal in an iron pot, would be directly situated over a fire. He would turn up the heat until the gold, the silver, the precious metal would liquefy. And after it had liquefied, he would inspect it for impurities, for dross, for alloys. 
he would skim off the impurities from the surface. And then he would take a look and once again, he would just turn the heat up because he realized that the purification process had not been completed. There was more that needed to be purified. There was more that needed to be removed. And so the fire is increased. The, the, the temperature goes up to another level. Have you ever felt like that? Like you are in the fire and you can't take any more. And you cry out, God, I'm in the fire. What's happening in my life? What is going on? These difficulties are destroying me. I can't hold on any longer. And you cry out to God and then it's like God just turns the heat up even higher. And God's like, listen, remember the, the smelter, the metallurgist, he, he's never closer to the gold than when he's purifying it. He's never closer, any closer to the gold than when he's purifying it. And he's saying, I'm with you in the fire. The fire will not consume you. The fire will not destroy you. It will only burn out those things in your life that are impure and are unclean. And the finished product will be conformity to the image and likeness of my son. You see, when we're going through difficult times, it's to drive us to a place of dependence on God. It's to cause us to realize that we need to implement some change strategy in our lives. There's things that have to change. And God says, come to me in the midst of this and stay and allow me to do the work that I'm doing And you. Don't run. Don't resent it. See, what happens is people end up coming into churches and they end up getting, getting challenged in certain things and, and they, they end up that the fire is turned up and they feel challenged and there's areas in their life that, that, that they maybe are confronted and what ends up happening is, is they don't stay and allow God to complete the work and they just move on and they go to other churches at times. And the reality is I'm not talking about condemnation and legalism here. I'm talking about a genuine work of the Holy Spirit where he's trying to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ, his son. And what happens is we go and we run somewhere else and God is saying, look, you're just going to have to write that test again. Look, God doesn't promote us until we pass the test. So we might as well, get, we might as well allow the testing to, to, be, to do the testing because if we don't, then we'll have to do it again and again and again and again and we'll go around the same old mountain time after time once again. Amen. So what ends up happening is this refiner, after he turns the heat up, he inspects the gold. And there's a final test that he employed after he had skimmed off the impurities, the dross, the alloys had been separated. He would actually look into the pot, and when he saw his face shining back at him, he knew that the gold and the silver had been duly purged. It had been purified. It wasn't until he could clearly see his own reflection that he was confident that the purification process was finished. Jesus is looking into our hearts. The Father is looking at us, and he's looking for men and women that will stay in the fire and allow the very image of Jesus to be in, embedded in their hearts, indelibly etched into your spirit, into your mind, so that you become that person he wants you to be. So God is raising up a company of burning ones that will demonstrate his love his power to this generation. They will reflect the very image and character of Jesus Christ on the earth.
The Bible says that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. We know that scripture, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But we have to remember that Romans 8, 29 says, not only is Jesus the only begotten Son of God with a capital S, but he's also the firstborn among many brothers, meaning that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God as well. And what that means is we're called to walk like Jesus walked. So many Christians have no idea, it seems, from the way they live, that God has called them to become like Jesus. They think, well, oh, I'm just saved now. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. This is the way of, you know, of my lifestyle. But they never commit themselves to a discipleship process. They never commit themselves to become like Jesus. And the standard, it's a high water mark, guys. The Bible isn't saying that we're to become disciples of other people. The Bible isn't saying that we are to emulate and imitate other people. The Bible says, imitate Christ. The Bible says, he who says he abides in him, 1 John 2, 6, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Wow. The New Living says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. If we believe in him, the word believe doesn't just mean, well, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. The word believe literally means to trust, to cling to. It literally means, it's, and it's something continual. It's not just one thing you did in the past when you maybe responded to an altar call or an invitation. That's not even necessarily in the Bible, in the New Testament. But what we see is there is a place where we recognize that God's speaking to us and he's saying, come and follow my son. Come and follow my son. That's what Jesus did. He didn't say, put up your hand and say this nice little prayer and everything is well all sorted in your life and you have pie in the sky and the sweet by and by when you die. He didn't say that. He said this. He said, come and follow me and I will make you. I will make you. I will change you. I will conform you. I will reconstruct you. You'll become like me. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. See, people that come in contact with us must see and encounter the anointed one in us. The word Christ is, means anointed one. The one who has the anointing. And the Bible says Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. And if Christ is in us, then people need to encounter him. They'll encounter his anointing. They'll encounter what he, who he is and what he carries. So it's time to, you know, in the, in the days of, the, of, the, of his birth, isn't it interesting that there was no room at the inn? And the fact is, it's now it's the same way. There's no room in the church. Jesus is saying, I, I want to be, you know, Paul said, he said, how I, I cry out, I labor. He said, I, I cry out in prayer and I labor in prayer that Christ would be formed in you. In Galatians chapter 4, that Christ would be formed in you. And he's saying it's, it's like that this, this gestation process in which Jesus is becoming so developed in you and that he's so taking hold of your life and he's changing you so you become like Jesus Christ. 
I want to tell you, no matter what you're going through, I want to tell you, no matter what people have done to you, I want to tell you, you know how disillusioned you've been with religion or anything else, that God's plan is for you to know Jesus, His Son, and to become like Him. God's plan is for you to know Him and you to become like Him and so that you can represent Him to people on the earth. Interestingly, the apostles in their day, people said there's something different about these guys. There is something distinct about them. And we know, according to Acts 4.13, it wasn't their education, eloquence, or expertise. But the Bible says that they were uneducated and untrained men. But when they saw their boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They realized that they had been with Jesus. They were a chip off the old block. They were just like Jesus. It's almost like deja vu. You know, these guys, like, listen to what they're preaching. Look at how they're living. There's something about them. Man, haven't we seen this somewhere? Or was that a dream I had? You know? And then it is, a, oh, no, I know what it is. They're just like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. They walk like Jesus. They love like Jesus. They heal like Jesus healed. They, they speak with boldness and authority like Jesus did. They're not like the religious crowd. They're actually unqualified and uneducated. But the reality is they represented Jesus perfectly to their generation. Do you understand that intimacy is a non-negotiable prerequisite for reproduction? Come on now. As in the natural, so it is in the spirit. We only reproduce what we're intimate with. As in the natural, so in the spirit. If we want to reproduce Christ, if we want to represent Christ, then we have to know who Christ is and we have to become like Christ. Because if we don't know who he is, then what we will do is we will misrepresent Christ. And when we misrepresent Christ, then what we may be projecting is religion and, 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 and all these other things that, that really are not what the gospel is and certainly not who Jesus is. I've come to realize something about people. As much as I can challenge someone to change their life, I can't change them. As much as I can say to someone, hey, Jesus loves you. You don't have to live like that. God has better plans for your life. He's got something much better than that. I can't change them. They have to make the choice. They have to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. They have to make the decision, yeah, I'm going to take what God says in his word and I'm going to apply it to my life. Yeah, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me so that I will and do God's good pleasure. I'm going to submit to his power that is at work in me and allow him to change me into the image of his son. And I'm completely convinced if we're going to penetrate the spiritual darkness that has blinded the hearts of so many in this generation that the glory of Christ must once again be revealed. Interestingly, the Father's intent is that he's chosen to do this through his people. Wow. I think I might have come up with a different plan if I was God. 
I think I, I, I reckon I would have. You see, listen to this. If I was God, the moment you were born again, I would have killed you. <laughs> because I knew you mess it up. You go off the rails. You stuff it up. I knew. And you know what? If I was God, I'd kill myself too the moment I was born again. But the reality is God says, no, this is my people. These are the ones who are called to carry my glory. These are the ones that I predestined to be conformed to the image and likeness of my son. These are the ones who are my re the residents of my glory on the earth. The residents of his glory on the earth. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Listen to this. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's through him that he shines in us and then shines out of us so that people will see this glory, that people will experience this glory. And it says it's in the face of Jesus, but yet it's in us. That means that it's Jesus in us that they're encountering. It's Jesus in us that's going to bring change to them. So we've been called to be like Jesus. We've been called to walk in absolute submission to the Father's will. We've been called to live in peace. We've been called to be completely surrendered to God. We've been called to be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We've been called to walk in the Spirit. We've been called to heal the sick. We've been called to live in holiness. We've been called to love our enemies. We've been called to live like Jesus did on the earth. And when people encounter Christ in us alive, it's going to bring revival and change and transformation. Because as we go, Jesus is in us. We take him into these places. We take them into wherever these people are. And Jesus in us causes them to come to a place of recognizing how desperately they need his love and grace. As we walk in intimacy, the light of his glory will be revealed to our generation. Those who sin in darkness, the Bible says, have seen a great light. The Bible says that Jesus' name, Yeshua, of course it means Savior, Rescuer. It speaks of healing. It speaks of redemption. It speaks of being made whole. But another name he was given is Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel. Acts 10.38 says, He went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. God was with him. And while we are on the earth, we're also supposed to do what he did. We're supposed to go around healing. We're supposed to go around sharing the love of Jesus, demonstrating and who he is. And the Bible says that we do this, and as we reveal his glory, it will result in people falling down and worshiping at King Jesus' feet. The first miracle that Jesus did, recording it, recorded in John chapter 2, was when he turned the water into wine. And verse number 11 says this, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't just say it was the first miracle he did. It actually says this was the first time he revealed his glory. Then listen. And... His disciples believed in him. His disciples put their trust in him. Because he revealed his glory, the disciples put their trust in him. Anytime the glory 
of the Father, of the Son, is revealed, it will result in people putting their trust in Him. It's an amazing reality. Zechariah 8.23, God's intention for Israel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. 1 Corinthians 14.25, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. We've called and called to reveal Jesus. It's not just coming to church. It's not even just inviting people to church. But it's taking him. He's in us. Wherever we go, revealing him. Seeing him represented so accurately that people clearly, undeniably, indisputably, irrefutably cannot deny that it's God in us. This isn't a man. This isn't a woman. They don't fall down and say, whoa, what a great prophet. They fall down when the secrets of the heart are laid bare and say, surely God is in your midst. God is in your midst. God is here. God is with you. There's something different about these people. There's something different about them. Come on now. Church doesn't make you like Jesus. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Come on. The reality is Jesus, knowing Jesus makes you like Jesus. Walking with Jesus makes you like Jesus. And when you learn to walk with him and you allow him to work in you, when you love him, and when you allow him to do that work of conforming you to his image and likeness, you can carry him everywhere you go and you will represent him accurately. And people will say, in a sense, in a sense, if you study Paul's writings, when he said, you know, basically, if, if Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Paul's writings, essentially in Ephesians, in Colossians, is this. If you see the church, you should see Jesus. When you see the church, you see Jesus. Wow, that's what he's saying. When you see the church, you see Jesus. Wow, I think we've got a way to go. But I thank God for those who've learned to represent him well. I don't want to misrepresent him. I don't want to misrepresent him. He's so holy. He's so pure. He's so loving. He's so unlike us. I want to know him. I want to represent him for who he is. Jesus was fearless. Fearless. He'd say anything. He didn't care what people thought about him. He'd speak the truth. But he always did it in love. Jesus loved in such a way. He was a man who was full of his Father's love, goodness. The Son of God became the Son of Man. Still the Son of God, but lived as a man, representing his Father on the earth. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. The Jews had no idea who God was. They had this religious knowledge that was absolutely skewed and perverted. They did not know. Jesus said, you do not know me, and you do not know my Father. 
But if you've seen me, now you've seen the Father. That's amazing. Can we stand together, please? Let's just bow our heads for a moment. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit can change any life. God can take the most vile, wretched sinner and transform them. Isn't it cool that in the New Testament, the word that he uses for us is saints. It's not an elite few people who've lived in India among the poor. The New Testament teaches that every single child of God is a saint. Saint. The word that it comes from in Greek is hagios, transliterated. It literally means not of the dirt, not of the earth. Ha is an antecedent. Gi is the word in Greek for dirt, earth, or soil. So it means not of the earth, not of the dirt, not of the soil. That's what a holy person is. Isn't that awesome? Adam was created. Huh? The first Adam was a living soul. But the second Adam, according to what we read in 1 Corinthians, was a life-giving spirit. Jesus, the second Adam. That's who he is.